to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We will be um, finishing up chapter 9 of Daniel. So if you want to uh, turn there in your Bible, open up your device, uh, we will have some of the scriptures provided on the screen. But we're going to cover chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. Um, and so, uh, as we saw last week, we looked and saw the first half of Daniel where we saw Daniel had been reading in the book of Jeremiah and through what he had read, um, he was halted and he was in this season of, of, of fasting, the season of, um, contemplating, uh, he, like we said that he had went in sackcloth and ashes and that in that, that meant that he was in this season of mourning and this season of desolation. Um, and so he was just a very desperately needy person. And, and getting us to think through that this summer as we look at um, these 60 days of feasting and fighting. Are, are we a desperate people needy for the Lord to do a work in our own hearts? Um, and we saw last week that that led him to conviction over sin, his own sin. But remember, he also was asking and confess, asking forgiveness and confessing the sin of the people of Israel, generations before him. And we said that biblically, we see that um, consistently, that idea. It wasn't just kind of this American idea of our individualism, but that even to this day, Eastern cultures are, are very much more communal in that. And so... Um, a uh, beautiful picture there of conviction, confession, repentance um, at the recognition of Israel's immense spiritual need. And so we've got to be that type of people. We must be a people always um, recognizing our spiritual need. So as we start out today, let's, let's read Daniel 9, 20 through 27. And like I said, we'll be on the screen as well. I'll read and then I'll pray and then we'll dive off into it. Um, verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me, saying, O Daniel, I have come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision, to seal both vision and prophet, to anoint a most holy, I'm sorry, um, understand the vision. In verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So let's pray. Father, we do come to you thanking you for your word, um, thanking you for your spirit that guides us in all truth that you promised us. So we ask for that. We ask for you to guide us into truth. Um, Father, this being one of the most 
um, difficult and complex interpretational areas through the centuries. Um, from the day this was written to um, the, the centuries where Israel was still awaiting its fulfillment, to the days of Christ, to the days of the early church, and now on into our age, this last 20 centuries, Father, um, men and women, brilliant, who have been seeking your truth in this. Um, we are very needy people. We are very um, desperate people. And so would you come and give us insight, um, not just about the events and the specific dates, but would you help us to step back and see the beauty of your redemptive purposes? Would you help us to glory in the cross of Christ, to glory in him, to where we would celebrate him and the salvation he's provided, so much so that we would be just a light to the people around us that we wouldn't receive it for ourselves, but that the gospel would go out from us because we treasure it so greatly. Would you help that to be what we walk away with? In your name we pray, amen. So, like I said, um, just a very, very difficult, complex area. Uh, many, many commentators um, who had been asked to write on these verses in particular, even 24 through 27, um, would turn that down. They would just say, there, there's so much confusion, confusion over this, and it's hard to tell exactly. So um, we would want to approach this with much humility, um, as we do all of God's Word, but specifically um, in, in going into something that has been so difficult. Um, so as, as we see this, I want, I want a couple of things that, that for you to see in verses 20 through 23, and then we're going to spend most of our time in 24 through 27. But uh, specifically in um, 20 through 23, no, note these things here, um, what Gabriel comes and he says, look in verse 22 there, O Daniel, I've come now um, to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. So think through that. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, as you were praying, so he's talking about several weeks back, a word went out. And so it wasn't that God didn't hear. It wasn't that God didn't see. It wasn't that God wasn't answering. Gabriel lets him know truth as you started and, and bowed your head and started to pray. A word went out. God sees and God answers. God cares about you. And notice what his word here is. This, 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 this is the basis for all of 24 through 27 that some people look over. You are greatly loved, Daniel, because I've got some really bad news for you and your people. Things aren't changing immediately. And then it's going to look like it's going to get better, and people are going to come in and destroy Jerusalem again. And so we've got to think through what was Israel, Judah, what, what was Daniel? What were the people of Israel looking to and expecting at this point? They're, they're in exile. They're removed by Babylon. Remember, Babylon had taken them off. And then after Babylon, the, the Medes and the Persians had come in and take over. So they're still in slavery. Every time they're going into those, those invading armies are going in and killing thousands of their people. Horrible atrocities. Horrible things that are happening and here's Daniel, broken over his sin, realizing all of this has happened because of our sin. All of this has happened because of our sin. And now here's God's word. As you pray, Daniel, you are greatly loved. Man, isn't that a beautiful picture for us? We come in every week maybe feeling that way. Like, I feel like I'm Israel every week, prone to wonder. And God's going, hey, first thing I want you to know, you're greatly loved. Um, and don't be afraid of that. If you're more in those circles, um, sometimes when I get people get around people and they're really solid on theology, um, they, they almost take it so far to the point that, well, I, I know about man's depravity so much that God hates me. That, that, and you wouldn't say that, but your life reveals that you think that God is just always displeased, always never, never happy with you, and he, he barely tolerates you. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the happy God of the Bible. When Jesus says, blessed are those, blessed are those, that word blessed um, is, is happy. Happy are those. And so we have this picture that God is just up there angry at us. And, and yeah, yeah, you're pitiful sinners, pitiful sinners, pitiful sinners. And, and we in our camps 
we, we, we tend to quote that depravity stuff. But if you don't, if you don't realize that sometimes what we're doing is almost the more that I can quote my depravity, I know I'm a worm. I know I'm a worm. I know I'm a worm. And I talk to people and they're like, and I ask them, what, what does God think of you? And they're like, um, yeah, he's miserable with me. He can't tolerate me. And then, and then people in these other camps who don't have solid theology that think that the Bible it's all about them that think that it's, you know, like that God just, he just loves me so much. And it's just all uh, hugs and kisses and giggles and balloons. And, and so um, all those things, and they don't have a solid theology, but they're enjoying God. They're like, you know, expecting God to rain down BMWs every week. They're expecting God to just, you know, like, hey, just close your eyes and blink, snap your fingers, click your heels, and you'll have the $750,000 house. And I mean, that, that's what they live in. And, and we're, we're sitting there scratching our head going like, that's not it. But if we're not careful, man, God's word to us is, hey, I love you. I love you. Everything that's going to happen, don't forget, I love you. Israel, it's all because of your sin. But I love you. That's the word he wants us to see there at the first there. Um, and so I, I want you to see that. What if there's so much spiritual warfare and darkness around cities and communities and families and workplaces that even when we're praying, it may be days or weeks before something changes and it's affected. So what this reveals, and next week in chapter 10, what we're going to see is actually an angel that comes, and he's going to say, hey, Daniel, for 21 days, when you were praying for three weeks, 21 days ago, the word was sent out. Separate story than this, but this is the same story that Gabriel just told. I started coming, but there was a king in the spiritual realm, a prince in the spiritual realm, the, the prince of Persia, not the, the physical place Persia and a prince there, but a, a prince, a demon, who I've been battling for 21 days. And I was getting nowhere. You're still praying every single day. You didn't know. You didn't see. It's, it, it's in unseen um, areas that you can't see. And I've been fighting for 21 days and wasn't really getting anywhere. Michael comes and we defeat that angel together and now I'm here. That's just weird. Like we don't think, you know, that that happens. But biblically here and biblically in, in the next chapter, it's going to reveal in other places, Ephesians 6 and lots of places, um, that, that there are spiritual forces fighting against us, trying to destroy your lives, trying to destroy. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. So just know there's a spiritual war going on. Um, so... Beautiful picture there to set the course for verses 24 through 27. So as we go into this section, remember, what was it the people were thinking? What was it their context? What was um, Daniel and the people of Israel um, desiring? What was their expectation? Well, number one, remember, uh, God had promised them way back with Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and through the prophets um, many times that you're going to be a people. I'm going to create a people of God, Israel, right? And then you're going to have a future promised land. And so remember, they inherited that land, Israel, earlier on, and now they've been ripped out of it several times, right? And so they were always going back to God. We want to be a people together, your people worshiping you in our own land, a promised land. Now, we've got dual meanings there, so that dual significance. The place of Israel ge geographically as a nation state, right? That's what they were thinking. We don't think of that as American Christians, do we? Or, or Christians since the church age. We think of, oh, that, that picture of a, a promised land, what's that talking about? Even for them, it, it's a future heaven, right? Like we all see the dual meanings there. There was that promised land, but God was showing them, hey, you're sojourners in a land. You're, you're, the, your future promised land is going to be eternal when the kingdom is consummated. And so they were looking for that. But then third, not only a people and a land, they were looking for this Messiah, When's Messiah going to come with his powerful military forces? And so that's what we get into in verse uh, 27. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, 24. And so think through this, um, the, the four views. So there's, there's some different views, and, and I could have went into, I, I, I can't even list out the number of, of, of categories 
and different views, and they have different names for them. Some people name the categories differently. They name the views differently. So we're just going to look at these um, four views here. Uh, this is just a very broad perspective, but just so, so you'll see, uh, the first view is just on in verses 24 through 27. It, it's, they believe it's literal years. The 77s refer to literal years. So, and that first thing is we, we see there, let me read back um, what it talks about in 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. So think that Daniel hears the word. Seventy weeks are coming. Oh, oh, well, what happens at the end of that, right? What, what's the seventy weeks? So seventy weeks does not mean seventy-seven days. So seven days in a week and then just seventy of those seven-day weeks. Um, that's understood as um, as. In the Bible, there's different meanings. It could be literal seven days. It could be talking about uh, seven years. And so uh, everyone kind of agrees that this the 70 weeks is not a literal seven-day, one week. It's not 71 weeks. Um, and so it, it's a clear picture there. And so the first um, group of people, the first view says that it's literal. And starting from like 605 or maybe 586 around this time where Daniel's at. Because remember, Daniel 1 was about 605. Now we're um, later on into the, the 500s. And so from that point on, it doesn't mean just 70 weeks. They take it literally. Um, and then the second view is that this is symbolic. It's just kind of a period, and it doesn't really have like a, a linear phase of a number of weeks. It's just this period from that time on and really culminating in the first century. Um, when Christ would come. So um, then the third view is a symbolic period also. It's ending with the second coming of Christ at the very end of the age. Each one of these views have tons of different places where they're going from Daniel to Jeremiah to Revelation to Thessalonians, and they're trying to piece all of those different places together. Um, so the third view, the symbolic. So now one thing to keep in mind as you look at the different views, and I'm going to go to the fourth view in a second, but remember this. Here's Daniel. Here's the people of Israel. Did they understand that the second person of the Trinity, God the Holy Son, was going to be formed into a human as a baby through the Holy Spirit and live for 30 years and die on the cross? God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, dying on the cross for sins. They did not have that understanding, did they? Like even when Jesus hits the scene and he's like, hey, uh, kingdom of God is here. I'm like, oh, you're the Messiah? It took them months and they still didn't understand. They're like, well, where's your army? Where's the big army that's going to come in and get rid of the Romans and we're going to establish our land? They, even his people, after three years of being with his disciples, they're still saying, is the kingdom now about to come? He's like, it, it's here just not yet fully. So remember, um, they didn't understand a clarity that the second person of the Trinity was going to come. Another thing they didn't understand was the, the two advents. So when you start interpreting these things, it, it baffles me sometimes, some of the brilliant minds, and, and it's very clear, like, oh, your disagreement on these different views is just because they didn't understand the two advents, that Jesus was going to come and live on the earth and surprise them that, you know, he, he come as the second person Trinity, that God would die in the flesh and then be raised again three days later, be on the earth for 40 days, ascend to heaven. That was the first advent. Remember, advent is, means coming. And then it's been 20 centuries. And we're still awaiting his second advent. They definitely didn't understand two advents. So there's this whole church age of 20 centuries that they didn't understand. So then that kind of leads us into um, the, the kind of this fourth view. It, it, and, and think through it like this. If I were to say, um, hey, the, the, in football, in the NFL, if I said the team that's going to win the Super Bowl in 2021, uh, 2022 is that L.A. team, you would go, well, man, okay, so let's make some bets. But, but which L.A. team? Which L.A. team? And then I didn't mention the score. I didn't mention, oh, hold it. The L.A. team that you're talking about now, 22 players fall off. 30 players change, and they've got new players. Did you mean the old team currently or the new team when they actually hit the field during the new season? Well, what's the score going to be? What if, what if it goes like this? I didn't tell you that. They're playing at February 6, 2022. The L.A. team's in there, and then at halftime, they're going to play half of it, and then they're walking off the field, and they're going to be gone until June. That would be really confusing with your understanding of the Super Bowl, wouldn't it? 
Like, you're kidding me. Because thank you, really, to be honest, all I'm concerned about is the commercials and the halftime show. Like, that's what we're doing in Daniel sometimes. People are worrying about commercials and halftime show, and God is when he's going to come, he's going to do this work of saving people, he's going to lift up that you don't understand, he's going to be gone for a period of time, I'm going to bring in the Gentiles, there's going to be a halt on the, the Jews, and then he's going to bring it, come in a second coming, and he's going to restore the kingdom fully. So we have the kingdom present, but not yet fully, right? So we're part of the kingdom, right? So the kingdom is here now, but not yet fully, because it's not fully righteousness, right? And so that was a difficulty for them. So the, the, the fourth view takes these views, and, and it sets out of the 70 years, you've got to think in sections. There's three different sections. So the first section is the seven weeks, the, the 77s, if you want to say it that way, um, 70 sets of seven years. So you've got to understand when it says weeks, it's talking about some seven years there. Um, so the first set is seven weeks. The second set is the 62 weeks. So out of 70, the first is going to be seven sets. The second is going to be 62 sets. That's 69. Well, he said it was going to be 70. So the third section is the 70th week. The first seven weeks have already happened. The next 62 weeks have already happened. The last of the 70th week has not happened yet. So every, pretty much everyone, even people that say this is all symbolic and not literal, they would say that. So the fourth view is that it's literal up to a certain point when Christ came, and then about the end of the first century when the apostles were writing the scriptures, um, that ended. So 69 weeks are all taken care of with the last of the apostles. And I'm going to show you where, where we get that from. So just know that there's these three sections, the first group. And so on, that, on the slide there, um, you see that. Look in verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. The going out of the word. So that's the starting point. It's going to be seven weeks. So there's your first seven. So seven times seven years is what? 49 years. From the, from the time that word goes out, it's going to be 49 years. And then it says, um, to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. And then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again, squares and moat, but in a troubled time. So what's going to be built? Jerusalem, temple, and the walls. Now in that, you have people literally writing books this thick on just what did they mean by Jerusalem's rebuilt. Was it the walls? Was it the, was it the temple? Was it the, was it the people? Some even say it's the people. They were back there. So, it, man, we have some just, man, we have different views there, right? Um, and so when you break it down to these three different sections, these three different groups, you can see there, there's just different views. And then the last one there, the one week, is it literal or symbolic? According to 927, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And we'll get to that one in a little bit. But if you see the breakdown, the main thing I want you to see is there's three sections. Um, the first one being the, the seven times seven, 49. And then you've got the second one, the seven times um, 62. And so if you add those years up, and there are people that go, oh my goodness, you won't believe the people that go into trying to guess these years and all these things. And I'm going to show you how difficult that gets to try to say this is black and white. Um, but when you look at that, the, the, the sevens of 434 years, when you add those together, um, there's some that try to make this all work out exactly to a specific date. I think that it's clear on the 69, but... The seventh one is, is just a difficult one. So, and I'll show you what that means. Look at verse 24 there. Um, Seventy weeks are decreed about the people in your holy city. Um, notice what will occur. Here's what's more significant than exact dates. Notice what will occur. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. So these are the things that will occur during that 69 years, the, the first seven, so the first, the first seven times seven is 49. From the time that the word went out, we're going to get to what, when the word went out because that's, that can get confusing also. Um, but here is what's going to happen in those six, I would say 69 
sessions. Look at the first one. Would you, would you say that this kind of sounds like what Christ accomplished? Some people, here's your two versions of this. Either this is what Christ accomplished, and it ends right there when he first came, or the other view is that this is at the end of the kingdom, or this is at the end of the world when we're fully into the kingdom and into eternal life fully. So there's two different views on this. So you can see how people would get that. And you can see how when they look at um, this list of things that were accomplished, um, you can see to finish the transgression. Well, part of that is finishing the transgression of Israel because he's speaking to Daniel about Israel. That's why he started saying, this is about Israel and you, Daniel, for finishing the transgression. Well, in that we have what the Jews didn't understand and Gentiles didn't understand. Well, now we have a grafting in of the Gentiles. So their sins need to be atoned for also, a finishing of the transgression. Um, and then notice, to put an end to sin. So did Jesus do that? So you've got one camp who says, oh, that has to be when all of us are living in heaven and there's no more sin. That would be to put an end to sin. Well, what about when Jesus died on the cross, he put it into the power of sin over us, Right? He put it into the guilt of sin for those who would call on him, for the condemnation of sin. He put an end of sin there. Then when you look at the, the next one, uh, to atone for iniquity. Well, we know that took place at the cross, right? So that, that was fulfilled by Jesus. And then when you look at to bring in everlasting righteousness. So now you've got one camp that's, hey, I think that to atone for iniquity, I'd be on the side that this means Jesus. And then you guys that believe that it's later on, it's a little bit more difficult translation for you that or interpretation. Well, then the next one, to bring in righteousness. Well, are we going to be living fully in righteousness? Are we doing that now? No, but it's available because of what? Because of the life of Christ. So remember, we, we, we want to treasure the person of Christ and the work of Christ, not just his cross work where he, he, he made atonement for our sins and took on the wrath of God. We also want to treasure the life and teaching of Christ. So his life mattered. His life of obedience, always uh, living out the perfect obedience. In fact, when we get in heaven, our eternity is based off of his perfect living that he lived out here on earth. His perfect righteousness is what is blown onto us. It's what is imputed to us for all eternity when we will sin no longer. And so this verse is saying, when was that accomplished? And then to seal both vision and prophet. So people that line up and saying that this is Christ, they would say, well, that was that first century. So a while ago when I said um, at the end of the first century, the last of the apostles. So I would say that would be John that's writing that unless the Hebrew guy surprises. Hebrews is the one book in the New Testament that we don't know the author. And so John the apostle, not John the Baptist, um, but John the apostle writing as the, the, the last disciple that was, was killed. And so um, in that, about... 96 AD or something, um, that's the end. And so that's when the canon was finished and completed, right? We didn't assemble the canon, the Bible that we have today, till in the 300s. But um, in, in by 96 AD, um, all of those were written by that point, right? So um, to seal both vision and prophet and to anoint a most holy place. So to anoint a most holy place, um, there's different views there. What that meant. And so some people would line up, if you're saying it's Christ, it means that um, there's no need any longer for a sacrifice, sacrificial system. There's no need for the tabernacle. There's no need for the temple. Jesus is our temple. Jesus was our sacrifice. So the most holy place is now Jesus himself and now the Holy Spirit being in you. Some even go that far, and there's chapters written on how we are now the most holy place. So if you want to take that, uh, you can do that. So you see how this gets confusing? Just in that, that seems simple to me. That Oh, this is talking clearly about Jesus. And there's brilliant people who disagree and go, you're crazy for thinking that's Jesus. I'm like, well, they're not saying it's not Jesus. They're just saying it's not fully revealed yet. That, that, that 70 weeks, those first seven, that's not what that's talking about. So um, we have to be careful not to um, be judgmental with people that have different views than us. Um, so just... just Let's go into verse 25 now. So you saw 24. Think through verse 24. This is what was accomplished. Both agree it's Christ's work. One says that we're living that out now. And then one says that we're, that's at the end of time. And so um, we, we need to just be okay with if people that believe differently on those things. Um, 
if you have problems with um, referring to 24, referring to the Messiah and Jesus coming, remember, again, what did I say? They didn't understand the second person, the Trinity, coming and dying for sins. They didn't understand the two advents of Christ, right? So that, that was them. Um, again, if we can see and appreciate and love God and see what he has done, instead of worrying about the detailed events and the dates and, and arguing about the dates, you're going to see how crazy it gets in a second. Man, the point of Daniel, remember, hey, Daniel, I love you. You're not going to even understand, Daniel. even you, Daniel, you're not going to understand the dates. You don't even know what Jesus looks like. You don't understand that he's coming through Mary, that the Holy Spirit's going to do that work, and that it's going to be a miraculous, supernatural act, and then God himself is going to die on the cross. You don't understand that. Daniel, I love you. Daniel, I love you. So that's what he wants us to see there. And Daniel, your sins are going to be covered, not through your sacrificial system that you're trying to keep, but because of my son. My plan in redemptive history is all me doing the work. 120% my work, not yours, Daniel. And so in 25, know therefore and understand that from the beginning, uh, from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. So that's the starting point. To the coming of an anointed one, a prince. Most of us would say Jesus, by the way. 40% 40% of people say that's not even talking about Jesus. I don't know how, but they say that's not even talking about Jesus. So between those two, that's that first seven weeks. So notice what it says. There shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but it's in a troubled time. So now um, think through this, um, this, this phrase there, from the going out of the word to restore and build. Um, most of us, when we hear that phrase, we don't realize, well, is there more clarity on what that just said? Is there more clarity in the Bible? So um, there's four places that specifically talks about and reveals that, four different places. Well, which one of them is that? And so up here, you're going to see um, um, four different places there. So the first one there um, is just with um, Cyrus. He comes and makes a decree in Ezra, and he sends him to go in. And so um, I want to, and I, as we go through this, I'll show you a danger that we have, okay? I want to show you a danger using this interpretation or differences in interpretations. I want to show you what we accidentally do, and we don't realize what we do. So um, here's this danger in differences of interpretation that I think that in particular our crowds, because we do, we're the people who care about what Scripture means. I, I want to know what you mean. I know exactly. Well, what did you mean by this little phrase? Like, since we're that way, if you want to get technical, Gabriel says to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So does that mean the walls, the city, the people, or the temple, or parts of all four? Um, so step one, here's what we do. I can't believe that some people don't see this, that this is what Christ did here. That's not talking about the future kingdom in heaven. It's talking about now. I can't believe they believe that way. That's just ridiculous. So so step one, notice what we do. We see and judge differences in opinion and even differences in interpretation as spiritual weakness. We see differences in opinion as spiritual weakness and spiritual inferiority. Feels good, doesn't it? You are what you love. Remember a couple of weeks ago? We love spiritual pride. We don't realize it. So the first step that I do is I, I, I see someone that I disagree with, I discount them, and now I look at them as weaker spiritually. Second step, well, you know, if they, if they read it that way and see it that way, oh my gosh, how many other parts of Scripture are they getting wrong? Right? Do we do that? We move to write them off as totally untrustworthy. Well, I heard him say this one time. I saw this part of a book. We miss the the nine phenomenal things, and we won't even give them a chance. Well, they're brilliant people. Like, I could read you some stuff from Martin Luther that you would go, he said that about women? He said that about... um, the, the church, that's crazy. And, and God used him for the Reformation. Do we lean on huge things from him? Yes. Is he fallible? 
Yes. Is it, was he 100% right? But notice what we do. We move to write them off as a total heretic. And then the third step, man, I can't believe that they interpret it that way. They don't see it my way, which means that they are, you know, weaker spiritually. But they're probably off in so many other parts that therefore that reveals that they purposely do that. And now we're judging their hearts, that they are purposely doing stuff. We move to judging hearts and heart motives. So we went from a different view to judging hearts and motives to then we can't trust anything at all with them. That's not enjoying God. That's not enjoying the Bible. That's not enjoying people that God has given us to, to, to help our, shape our minds and to help us with those things. And so you could lean to the, well, well I just go by the Holy Spirit. Let, let's get real. The Holy Spirit... He does guide and lead us, but it's such a subjective thing. Do you know how many people I've counseled that have said that the Lord, that the Holy Spirit had led them to, to get a divorce? The Holy Spirit showed them that they needed to do this. The Holy Spirit showed them that they needed to leave their family and do this other thing. The Holy Spirit. And so that's such a subjective thing. So be careful. You've got to be very biblically minded to have the Holy Spirit doing those things. That's why we come together. That's why we have small group. That's why we have discipleship. So Yes, we want the Holy Spirit to guide. But when people come and say, hey, Sankey, the Holy Spirit told us that um, we believe you're supposed to do that. Okay. Well, let me get a pen here because this Bible is no longer full. You told me what? The Holy Spirit told you that we're supposed to do this. I'm going to add this down, and now I'm required to be obedient to this part, and now this new thing that you just told me. The Holy Spirit told us that we're supposed to do this. We don't realize what we're doing there. And so um, just be careful. Um, here's these four places where um, it popped up. So um, note, I, want you to read, I want you to hear this in, in Ezra 1. This is the first one back in 538. And so we're asking the question, um, so when does this, this long period uh, of years start? Um, the, the seven years, but then also the, the, the 62 um, with Ezra. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, and this is not on the, the screen, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up in the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a non-believer, so that he made a pro proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has char charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah." Whoever is among you, Israel, of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. 538 B.C. The next one comes in 517 B.C. It, it's Darius making a decree to Ezra. The same thing. And he even said, let, let the cost of it be covered by our government, not even the Israelites. We're going to cover the fee of that. And if you remember back in Daniel chapter 1 and 2, when the, 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 the gold that was taken out of the house of God in Israel, in Judah, and it was taken down to Babylon and put in the house of uh, the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. Remember those, those articles inside the temple? Ezra gets to go and get those gold pieces and take back to the temple. I think over 5,800 pieces of gold and all these little things, these trinkets that were put back in the temple to the sacrifice of God. And so um, that was 517 B.C. Then in 458, Artaxerxes, he makes a decree giving Ezra again permission and safe passage and supplies. Um, the fourth one is the one that Artaxerxes makes, and we went through the book of Nehemiah here. So if you remember Nehemiah, um, the decree that um, Artaxerxes gives to Nehemiah, permission and safe passage, and then sends him with supplies to return to Jerusalem. So the walls were being rebuilt. And if you remember, it was a time when they were, they were literally, on one hand, they had their sword, and on one hand, they had their trowel. If you remember that, in the book of uh, Nehemiah, where it was a time of great um, difficulty, because there, there, at any time there could be war. There were people out there that were threatening them, threatening them. And so it was the rebuilding the wall, but they're ready for war at this, this whole time. And so a time Time of great difficulty. Now, here's, here's some interesting things. When you take the seven weeks, the first session, and then the 62 weeks that was mentioned in verse 25, the, the seven and the 62, that's 69. If you take the 445 date from Nehemiah, Nehemiah, so from the word going forth, 
to go and rebuild, and you do the first sevens, the 49 years, plus the second section, the 62 sevens, that's 434 years, and you add them, you get 483 years. So 434 and 49 is 483 years. If you use the 445 B.C. date, Nehemiah 445, um, and go into the future, 483 years, how close do you think that you get to some major events in Christ's life? So what about like a big pinnacle, Jesus' crucifixion? 483 years. Man, it misses. But that's if you're doing it with a 365-day calendar. If you do it with Daniel's calendar that he was using, that back then they, they used a 360-day calendar. If you do the 445 date, it goes right to 32 or 33 A.D. So 69 weeks, 69 sevens, 483 years goes right to 32 or 33 A.D. So there's some brilliant people that have great discussions that tear that apart. That seems pretty simple to me, but there's some, and they start making their points. You're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I'm not so sure about this. Maybe I'm not so sure. I had a class at Southern where uh, they had like Dr. Moeller and uh, uh, Jim Hamilton and John Piper and somebody else and somebody else. And uh, Dr. Allison was one of them. And they all presented their, it was five views on eschatology. So first guy gets to share for 20 minutes. I was like, I thought he was a kook. He's crazy. I never would have. This is a horrible view. And I was like, oh, hold it. That makes a lot of sense. They're using the Bible, by the way. They're not just like painting pictures with their eyes closed, you know. And so they're using scripture and you're going, wow, I was completely wrong about that. The next guy goes and he gets to go and then give his stance and the biblical reasons why his is uh, different, but, but why a couple of places where that one doesn't make sense. After I listen to that one, I'm like, oh, man. That first guy is crazy. This guy's right. And then the third guy goes, I was like, I already knew that. I kind of leaned with him. I was like, oh, well, of course. What was that? Well, I don't know why those other guys, they're satanic. They were influencing me bad. And then the fourth guy goes, and I'm like, I've never even heard of this category. This is like new to me. Um, and, and then I was like, wow. He put the other three to shame. This new one's the thing. And then the, by the fifth one, I was just like, okay, I, I don't know what I believe now. I thought I believed this one, and now I don't even know. Because they were all humbly using God's word and not arguing and hating each other, but going, um, man, all of these views could be legitimate. And here's why. So if you, if you see the, so look at those starting dates. 538, 517, 458, four, which one was it talking about when it said that? Um, from the going out of the word. Which one was it? The going out of the word. Well, the word went out. A decree was made with, in 538 with Ezra, 517, 458, 445. Which one was it? So from what years, from when, but also until when. So that next slide, look at the next slide. So wherever the starting point was, well, what's it talking about? Is it talking about the birth of Jesus? Or was it talking about, there, there's chapters and chapters on when Jesus was 12. Remember that like two verses when Jesus is 12 and goes to the temple with his parents and they're like, hey, they, they, they take, start going home, Passover's over and like, hey, where's Jesus at? He's always running off from us. And so um, he's a pitiful kid. He's so, they didn't say that, but that's probably worth thinking and the whole time. Was he sinful? No, not at all. He didn't even sin. And so he's back at the temple. So some people say it's the first time that Jesus started getting recognition that, oh, my father in heaven, I'm actually a deity. Like I'm actually God. Uh, God is my father. So some people say that at the temple, that was what the date was. Some people say it was when he started his public ministry or his baptism. Some people say his crucifixion. Some people say it'll be his second coming. And so those years, when, what year did it start? And then when did it line up? So again, we need to approach this with humility to see that. Um, so just, just thinking through that, um, look in verse 26 here after the 62 weeks. So now we've seen about the seven and the 62 together. Those do the, those do 69 weeks together, right? An anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. A lot of people believe that's Christ. 
He'll be cut off. Even the Old Testament talks about that. He's cut off. He's betrayed, and he's, he's separated from his people, and he's in isolation. And so he's cut off and destroyed there. He's killed on the cross. Some people say that's not even talking about Christ. I think it is Christ there. Um, and then this. Notice the very next sentence. And the people of the prince who is to come. Seems like it's talking about that prince, right? That we were just talking about. So we say, oh, that, that must have been Christ shall destroy the city and its sanctuary. Well, hold it. If you just said that was Jesus, the prince, and now the next sentence says, and the people of that prince come and they destroy the temple and everything, we've got a problem. So now you've got an interpretational situation of saying, well, maybe that next sentence is talking about a separate person. So the first sentence in 26, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing, talking about Christ, and then the very next sentence is talking about a separate person. Um, a lot of people lean this way. Is it the first sentence is talking about Christ? The second one, the people of the prince who is to come. Oh, another prince, because it talks about this later on. Shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. And so a lot of people see that as after Jesus came and died in 33 AD, um, what happened in 70 AD? Uh, remember, we know that um, Titus came in, so the Romans and Antiochus and in 157, 167, uh, these other guys come in and they destroy Jerusalem. And so in 70 AD, Jerusalem again is destroyed and, and the Romans would do it in the, like a flood quickly and severely, just, just ramsacks the whole thing. And so in that, um, there's very much disagreement on, on just that verse 26. Um, I kind of lean that, that the anointed one refers to Christ, him being cut off. So um, look at verse 27. Most people put 26 and 27 together. Um, that It's not necessarily linear, but that they're together in the form of the events that are happening or talking about some of the same things. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So now we've got, he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. So if you go back to verse 26, is that talking about that, that person in the second sentence, the people of the prince who is to come? So if there's this other person, this prince who is to come, is that talking about someone who, who's going to come and cause destruction? And, and they did that in 70 AD. And now in verse 27... He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. So now you've got this issue of what happened in those first 69 weeks. Dual meanings of there will be one who would be like an antichrist. And we talked about Antiochus, Titus, different ones. Not Titus that wrote the Bible, uh, the book of the Bible, or who it was written to. But, um, but Titus of the Romans. And so those guys come in and cause destruction on Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and now you've got this time period after Christ had left and ascended. And so that's where other people say the 70th week has not happened yet. So then now we're talking in verse 27 about very end times. Um, he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And so this is where people believe at the end, the last seven years is the, um, the, the real Antichrist, that there were forerunners of Antichrist before, and we looked at 1 John where he talked about there's, there's many Antichrists, but there's also a specific Antichrist coming. We saw that Thessalonians agrees with that. And so now we've got this saying, he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. So the idea here is that since the Jews have been held off and God has um, allowed a time where they're not responding to the gospel, they didn't understand Jesus, God grafted in the Gentiles, and now in that last seven-year period, a lot of people believe that will be the time when Jews, a lot of Jews will be made to understand. And so now he's talking specifically that this Antichrist will begin to make this covenant with the Jewish influx of people, maybe Gentiles also, and the Antichrist will mislead many of them. On the front end, he will do all these good things and then notice what it says. Um, he will make a strong covenant with many for one week, talking about the seven-year period. And for half of the week, three and a half years, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And then, and on the wing 
of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So dispensationalists see um, that as very specific and literal years. Um, covenant theology people see the first half of 27 as referring to Christ. He shall make a strong covenant with many. So there's even people in the covenant theology that go, that's still talking about Jesus, that he's going to make a covenant with them for the first three and a half years. And so you've got all kinds of disagreements there. So what do we walk away with? I believe that it is a um, 69 years that are separate from the 70th year, that we're in an age, and they call it a theological gap, or a time of a season where um, after all those things were accomplished by Christ in the first century, that now we're in this um, time of the church age where Gentiles are ushered in God has a hold on a majority of Jews who do not believe, right? We see that in Romans very clearly. And, and then there's this church age going on, and then there is going to be a time of tumultuous, tumultuous destruction. Um, I do believe there probably will be an Antichrist. And so that's that 70th week, this seven-year period. I do not know when that's going to start. That's just my own understanding of that. that, that that's probably an accurate picture. Um, so I see the three sections divided up that way. Now, they're not equally, but you've got the seven years when the temple was built, the, from the decree went out, so 49 years, actually seven weeks, 49 years until the walls were built, the temple was built. Then the next 62 weeks was 400 and whatever, uh, whatever 434 years till when Jesus came. So the temple, everything, then Jesus is built, so that 69 of those weeks were then. And now we've been 21 centuries awaiting the second coming of Christ. I think it helps out with all of those different things if you remember that Christ did have two advents. That it wasn't just the Messiah um, coming one time. Daniel didn't have an understanding of that. Israel didn't have an understanding of that. He came the first time, and now he's ascended, and he's been gone for 21 centuries. So that's helpful to go, there's this time coming. Still very, very difficult. So um, the bigger point for us is... We've got to be a people who, when people have different views, especially on this very symbolic, apocalyptic language, but even on very clear theology, if they have a different outworking in their life um, that is nowhere close to sin, that we're not so judgmental that we can't love them and partner with them on those things. You realize that guys, brilliant men today, like you know, R.C. Sproul that passed away, Brilliant, probably affected so many of you. He wouldn't be a member at this church. Um, Michael Reeves, one of the most brilliant men alive today. Union School, theology, on the, he, he wouldn't be a member of this church. Martin Luther couldn't be a member of this church. So when it comes to issues, if I, if I threw up the word um, complementarian, or let's say pedo-baptism, so your views on baptism, right? Pedo-baptism, sprinkling infants when they're that first year, or believer's baptism. We have pretty strong views on that, right? Interestingly, in our circles, we may have a view, but a lot of us can't even go to the scriptures and show people where we get that view. But man, I will fight you for it, and I, can, I will have nothing to do, and that's ridiculous and stupid, and we can't trust him. Guys, we, we can't be like that. As soon as someone finds out that, you know, oh, this guy, he's this. Uh, complementarian stuff. Man, do you know how many um, churches that so in the future as we get away from this I'm ready to get away from these little cups very quickly if we have a man and a woman here oh, whoa 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 hold it is God where's the lightning bolts a man and a woman the man having bread and a woman holding a thing oh my gosh what is the scripture scripture doesn't say anything about that God goes hey did you see what I did I died for you I love you and churches split over that and so we've got to be going, man, man, let, let's love God in this and love one another. And we, we want to throw fits. And, and again, on pivotal baptism, on complementarian, we're, we're just so fearful. Um, if, if I had videos going and had, you know, John Piper and R.C. Sproul, and then if I had some woman that, you know, had a 30-second clip where she was thinking something beautiful about uh, this book that she's written, if I had three people come like, why do you have a woman teaching us? Are you putting us under the authority? Like God is just going to go, I saw that sojourn. Smack. All of them. No blessings for the next 50 years. I'll teach them. 
We, we can't be that way. We will never, never, never move to having a female as a pastor, as a shepherd here, as an elder. We're, we're firm on that. Southern Baptist Convention, last week, they're battling that out. We're never going to go that far. Don't freak out if a woman is helping in the beautiful picture of the Lord's Supper. Or if we have a clip, or if I go, hey, here's a book that this brilliant, godly woman wrote. Oh, or am I under her authority if I read that? Guys, that's not enjoying God. That's living over in this afraidy hole that God is never pleased with me on all these things. And that's not saying you're, you're so afraid of grace to go and enjoy God, enjoy what God's, but, but the, the fear, it will, but, but what if? But what if? But what, are you saying, well, I know we won't do that, but what if? Guys, we have to get to the point of loving one another, and we can't do that. If, if I'm scared about every single half statement and interpreting every single word that you say, God is saying this in chapter 9, learn from Daniel's heart and his heart posture, recognition of sin and conviction, confession, repentance, looking to God's faithfulness. It's not great news, Daniel, but I'm going to be with you. I hear you. I love you. We've got it 10 million times easier than Daniel. The, the AC that we complain about, he, 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 would, he would kill for, right? Uh, remove it from us for a little while and see how quickly we're like, oh my gosh, like, I hope we don't get to heaven. My greatest fear is we get to heaven and God goes, hey, all you people that live with like air conditioning and mattresses and carpet and um, vehicles, the greatest time period, guys, was during the Bible days. We're all going, I'll be kicked out. I'll be like, Sankey started complaining. He was supposed to be living righteous. Here, here goes, he's the new Adam and Eve because it won't go well with me. Like if it's like no ice in heaven, that's not going to be real great to me. And so when I think about those things, man, we, we get so held up over little bitty things and want to argue and fight instead of loving one another. We, we have to be able to get to the point where we're, we're, able to see people that have differences and they're not at a spiritual weakness and they're definitely not a heretic that I could never trust or listen to. Learn to see God's redemptive plan for his glory and the good of the city as the gospel of Christ goes out. So the gospel's for us and we need it and we preach it to ourselves every day. It's what saved you. It's what's sanctifying you. Justification and sanctification. But look around. These people need it desperately. This is a spiritually dark, oppressed area. So this whole 60 days, all of this, God is saying, Sojourn Church, are you going to take the gospel to this area? I have worked my tail out to get you people in this area, and it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. If you can't love one another inside, well, what's the good of me bringing 100 people in? You're not going to love them and disciple them. As soon as you hear something or see something you disagree with, you're done with them. Be humbled by pausing to contemplate that although we are more sinful than we could ever imagine, that God's loving, unconditional grace is always greater. More sinful than we could ever even look at, and God's overwhelming grace is more than we could imagine. And then last, just rest in God's love and sovereignty against those concerns or fears that you may have about the future or changing culture and changing times in America and a feeling maybe of, of lack of control, um, and trust in God's sovereignty, rest in Him and His work. Just like with Daniel, I, I love you. I've got the best for you. Don't, don't get so weirded out by these things. Like, I love you. Love one another. That's how the world's going to know you're my disciples, the love that you have for one another. So let me pray and close this. Father, um, very difficult words, very hard words for Daniel. It's light for us comparatively with him. It's light and easy. We know that we're in a culture and in a world that's changing quickly, but even America today is nothing like the cities that you sent the gospel into in Galatia and Philippi and Colossae and Rome, um, all of those cities making sacrifices to false gods, using children, using sexual immorality as, as offerings of worship. We don't have those set up in, in pillars around us, God. And so the gospel reigned and ruled in those cities that were desperately in need of you. Our city is desperately in need of you. Would you use the Holy Spirit just powerfully in our lives? Would you use the gospel unleashed in this area? Would you help us to treasure you not to worry about all the tiny details, but to, to have hearts that are softened and humbled. 
God, show us our spiritual pride if we can't even have people around us that, that disagree with us, that, that we can't even have people around us that have different views. Show us our spiritual pride, our hardness of heart. Would you, would you soften us, God, to where we're people that are loving and grace-oriented, that still hold to the truth? Thank you for your protection as we've been a small church plant going forward. Thank you for that protection. We, we thank you for the grace, but we know that there is spiritual warfare all around. Protect our families. Help us to protect the gospel, that we wouldn't change or modify or drop the gospel. We thank you for all those graces. Help us to represent you and be image bearers as we go forth. In your name we pray. Amen.